You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. So, Paul, you, uh, in addition to really knowing these college players inside and out, you, you know the NFL draft really well. You have a great track record of, of predicting the NFL draft. So how many wide receivers did you think are going to go um, day, day one and day two? What, what's your projection right now? I know that's subject to change. Right now, I would say in round one, I think Chase Smith, Waddle, or Locks, and I'm still going to say that we're going to get six. I think Chase Smith, Waddle, I think Kadarius Tony is a lock. I, that's four right there. I'm expecting two more. If I had a guess, I would say Rondell Moore and Terrace Marshall. But I think I think it could be a surprise where a guy like Elijah Moore jumps up into the mix. I would say five or six in round one. I think five or six go in round one. I feel super confident in saying four because whether people want to believe it or not, I don't think Kadarius Tony is getting that around one based on everything you're hearing. So I think he is a lock for the round one. So that's four. And then we'll see how many more from that Rondell Moore, uh, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall group. I got to imagine another one or two, you know, uh, especially could think about it. If we have three going the top 10, I think we're going to see a few more guys go, right? So that just seems like the way it is, is we're going to see a handful more. I don't think everybody's going to wait to to, to day two then at that point. So I'm going to say we probably get five or six. Uh, but if you start stretching this out now to the end of night two, I think you're talking about, if, if I just count up right here what I have, you know, I think you're talking about at least 15 guys. You know, I think at least 15 guys, the names that I just mentioned are, are obviously all locked for the first three rounds. Elijah Moore is going late round one to mid round two. Amon Ross St. Brown at a USC is going in, in day two. Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State's going in day two. Tutu Atwell at a Louisville. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge at a Western Michigan small school guy. He's going to go in round two. Yeah. Another small school guy, Kate Johnson at a South Dakota State. You know, Dane Brugler and Lance Zerline are two of the best in the business and have, you know, they have plenty of sources in the NFL. And on their most recent pod, they said they think Kay Johnson could be around two round three picks. So I think he's a guy that you got to feel pretty confident is going in the in the top 100. Seth Williams out of Auburn, Deami Brown at UNC, you know, and then you still got guys like Amari Rogers out of Clemson, Shai Smith at South Carolina, the guy we just talked about, Amir Smith-Marset. Maybe he can sneak in at the end of round three. I think 15 to 16 guys end up going in the top 100 at least. I, I think that's just, you know, and I, I'm not even counting Demetrius Felton, who I still have him on my running back list. He very much could be on the wide receiver list, and he might go in round three as well. So I think you're talking five to six in round one. I think you're talking 15 to 16, maybe even 17 in the top three rounds. So we're talking about a crazy influx of wide receiver talent that is going to be taken early in the NFL draft this year. So, and that's really interesting. And I'm thinking about this from a dynasty perspective and a super, in a super flex league. So let's say we've got 15 wide receivers and you've got four QBs we're intrigued with one tight end, three running backs, you know, I think at least. So you have a pick in the late, late seconds, even early third round picks this year. 
I, I think those are pretty valuable because because I think there are gonna be some really intriguing prospects, like even early in the third round, which is which is exciting and doesn't always happen. So I, I just it's it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, and, and what you just said, even if we say 15 receivers, right, go in the first three rounds, you had four quarterbacks like you just talked about. We're already at 19. I think five running backs are a lock for the first three rounds. So you there's three that I'm higher on, but I think Michael Carter Jr. and Trey Sermon, you know, after Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and, and Javante Williams, I think all five of those are, are really intriguing guys. So you have five right there, four quarterbacks is nine, 15 wide receivers is 24, one elite tight end, you know, is 25, two other really good tight ends. One, even, you know, Brevin Jordan is good. Pat Fryer moved could be very good to great. You know, we're ready at 26 and we haven't even started talking about the, the Truba Hubbard, the Kenneth Gainwell yeah. group. And those guys were considered first round dynasty rookie picks before this year started. Those guys are going to be there potentially in the early to mid third round of rookie drafts. And then there's still going to be other wide receivers, you know, that, that we're really intrigued with as well. So I think you're right. I think late second round to early to mid third round is there's going to be ton of value there. Now. Yeah. Some guys are going to end up in bad landing spots. It always happens. They're going to have to wait their turn. It's going to push them down the pecking order, but just in terms of draft capital, which dictates so much, I think you're talking about conservatively 24 to 27 guys who are going to be taken in the first three rounds. When you add up the four quarterbacks, the five running backs, 15 wide receivers and three tight ends right there, just skill players on the first three rounds is going to push into the third round of a rookie draft. And then, you know, you always have those really intriguing round four running backs that land in the ideal landing spot. Right. And stuff like that. And who's to say some of these other running backs don't sneak into day two. You know, like I said, Demetric Felton, whether he's a running back or wide receiver, very much could. Maybe Kenneth Gainwell still can or, or Truba Hubbard, you know, or Javion Hawkins out of Louisville. So I think you're right. I think as a whole, this class is going to be loaded for rookie drafts. I think there's going to be a ton of value mid second round, late second round, early third round, you know, well into the middle of the third round before I think it really starts to fall off. Uh, and, and looking at the, the rookie draft board, one player that's getting a lot, he's, he's, Let's just say uh, the, the hype train is boarding early. Uh, those with status have already put on their luggage in the overhead bins. It's Jamar Jefferson coming out of Oregon State. He's off. He's being uh, you know put up there is the running back five, six, you know potential third round. Maybe probably not second round, but I've heard a lot of third round talk of him. Uh, can, can you talk to me a little bit about Jamar Jefferson and your thoughts on him? He's the, wait. He's the first running back we're going to talk about. Jamar Jefferson. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> So, so Jamar Jefferson is a guy that I haven't cycled back to yet. Like, obviously, you know, like this is a ever, uh, ever developing process here. So he's not a guy I've gotten back to yet, but when I watched him, you know, in the summer, I thought he was a solid functional back. I, I, I struggle. I struggle with, with, with that ranking of him. I think he's much more of a day three prospect to me. He's nowhere near the top five. He, he's not, for me, he's not even in the conversation of that second tier, which consists of like Javante Williams, you know, Michael Carter and, and Trey Sermon. And then I don't even think he's on the level of Kent Gainwell, Truba Hubbard, Javion Hawkins. Like for me, he's down in like the middle of like, he's down like in the 15 to 18 range, somewhere in there and in, in my last tier as a day three type guy. I think he is, you know, I think he's a solid back. I, I 
there's a lot that, about him that I have some reservations on. He doesn't catch passes. And in this day and age, like, he, you know, 5'9", 215, you know, in 2019, he caught nine catches for 85 yards. So to me, yeah, I like the frame. I like the short area burst. I think he's got some acceleration if he gets into the open field. I like his footwork and vision. He's got a one cut ability and he's got some agility and elusiveness at his at 215. But he doesn't he he doesn't have that receiving production. I think his athleticism is average. I think his long speed is average. I think his contact balance is probably average. Same thing with his play strength, physicality. But to me, pass protection is an issue, some durability and injury concerns in the past, and the receiving and the receiving skills in production. So for me, I struggle with Jamar Jefferson. He's not a guy that I, I, I watch and I think to myself, he should be a top four round pick. To me, he's in that round five to round six range in terms of a prospect where he gets drafted as a depth running back piece. Maybe he works his way into a lesser part of a committee. So you know, I struggle with him a little bit. I know I've seen the same things you're talking about. I've seen him be ranked much higher than where I have him. And I'm still working my way back through, you know, all these guys and will continue to do so in the, in the pre-draft months, but I haven't seen anything yet that makes me want to catapult him into even my top 10, maybe, you know, listen, after, after like the top nine or 10, it's really, you know, the, the the margin between yeah. these guys is very thin, like number 11 to number 17. Th- there's not much of a margin there, to be honest with you. At that point, when we're talking about running backs after, after the first five to, you know, after the first five to eight, let's say you're talking round five on, right. There's, you don't usually get eight running backs, even in the first four rounds. So, you know, so once you get to that 10 to 20 range, there's not much of a difference between the talent of these guys. It's more scheme fit. What's already on the depth chart. Are they looking for a bigger, more physical power guy? You know, so, so I think he fits somewhere in that day three range. I, I'm not I'm not on, at the level of, of, of some people in the industry who really like him. I, I think he's more of a round five, round six guy, depth piece, and, and we, we see what happens. Maybe that's actually the perfect running back to lead off this discussion because generally speaking, we're not really excited about this class. And one of the guys, Paul, I was really excited about, you know, as a, as a Debbie prospect was Chuba Hubbard. You know, he had a lot of hype coming into the season and it just didn't happen. I've heard some reports that he was more injured than he let on and, um, that's one of the reasons his production was bad and they had some offensive line issues. Um, but what, what do you see uh, when you look at him on film? Do, do you see a guy that could, you know, maybe maybe he could go in the third or fourth round and, and, and land someplace and, and be a productive fantasy asset or or are you just kind of not out on him? It's weird. Last year. I thought the hype train on, on Truba Hubbard was too high. I saw people putting him at a level of J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor and and those guys during the, the college football season prior to the 2020 NFL draft. And I pushed back a little bit and said, yeah, let's hold it a little bit. You know, Big 12, no defenses, a lot of, a lot of wide open rushing lanes. I'm not ready to put him at that level yet. I still thought he was going to come out last year. I thought if he came out last year, he was going to be a day two pick. I don't think he would have been an early day two pick like so many running backs. I think he would have clearly went after, you know, the big five last year. I think he would have probably went somewhere mid to late round three, similar to, you know, where Zach Moss went somewhere, you know, on in round three. That's where I thought he was going to go. That's where I thought he deserved to go because what he is, 
is in today's NFL, every team almost basically uses two running backs. There's very few bell cow guys who carry the workload. And to me, he's a perfect compliment. He's a guy that would be better with 10 to 12 carries at the NFL level than 16 to 18, because I think he still offers home run threat ability. I, I think his athleticism is good to very good. I think he's got great long speed and bursts. He's a home run threat, like I said, whether he touches the ball as a runner, receiver, or as a kick returner. I like his stop-start acceleration and his footwork. Easily one cut and get up the field. You know, So there's a lot to like about him. He's got the lateral quickness to bounce to the outside. I think he's better almost on the perimeter and in between the tackles you know so there's a lot to like about his game I think his play strength is probably functional I think his receiving production is functional I think where I struggled a little bit with him is he had some ball security issues some inconsistent hands in terms of catching the football not much in terms of pass protection so I don't think he's going to be on the field much on third down he's got a little bit of an upright running style because he is 6'1 at 207 so you don't usually see explosive players too often at 6'1 Right. They usually see him, you know, smaller than that. So he's got a little bit of an upright running style. And I think his ability to absorb contact could, while I thought it was average for collegiate and I thought he made strides on it last year, I do think it could be a little bit of a thing where he doesn't break a lot of tackles. He goes down on first contact you know, pretty regularly. But I think if you, if you ask him to play a role at the NFL level as a committee guy, change of pace, pass catcher at a backfield, kick returner, outside gap or zone running scheme get him in space i think i still think he deserves to be in the late round three early round four consideration i know people are really down on him right now now i think it's gone too far the other way i didn't i wasn't as high on him as most people last year now it seems like people want to leave him out to pasture and they don't even want to you know consider him in the mix i think He's one of the more intriguing guys after that that top five that I talked about. And for some teams, he might be a better fit than a guy like Trey Sermon, who I think is going to go higher than him. But if but Trey Sermon's more of that in-between-the-tackles physical guy, you know, than Chris Carson-like. And 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 Trevor Hubbard is much more of a, of a big play type guy, you know, more of a, you know, a guy that, you know, could make a big play, you know, and use him in, in bits and pieces. You know, you know, similar to uh, Henderson, who was drafted by the Rams. I think he, Darrell Henderson, I think Hubbard could play a role like what the Rams thought they were getting with Darrell Henderson. Now, Henderson, they invested a higher pick than I think Hubbard's going to cost this year. But I still think, I, I think the hate now for him has gone way too far. I still think he's got talent and skill that I think could shine at the NFL level if used correctly. Just wait until round four. Or, or maybe even, let's say, like, round three, and he ends up being drafted by the Niners, and everybody loses their hats. Yeah, then he goes in the top 16 picks of rookie drafts. <laughs> yeah, he, like, people are going to be just it chomping at the bit to take him. Yes. Hey, Paul, quick question about the top two guys, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Where would you put them with the running backs in, in last year's um, class? So the 2020 rookie running backs like if they let's say they you know well if, if you were just drafting today or whatever how, how would you how would you rank those guys yeah i mean so honestly i thought they were both going to come out last year so i mean think about it. we had five running backs last year go pretty high yeah. and and you know and all are intriguing fantasy and then we added antonio gibson to the mix and james robinson to the mix and it could have been two more right it could have been both Najee harris and travis Etienne. i i talked about before i thought devonta smith made a mistake i really thought Najee harris and travis Etienne made a mistake a running back 
you should get out when the getting out is good. So like, I would never have recommended either of those guys stay in school and, and absorb the pounding that a running back takes. But, you know, both of them made it through the year healthy. Najee Harris got a national title, you know, Travis Etienne, you know, finished out, you know, his, his college career. So it, it was, it worked out for both of them. I still think they're in the mix of that 20 to 40 range. I don't think they're slam dunk first round picks because of this the positional value at the NFL level, but I think they're right there with those guys, you know, the tied into the guys from last year. I don't think anybody last year, I honestly, you can make the case that on talent alone, I think I like Najee Harris probably more than anybody I liked last year after this year. I think last year he would have been right in the mix with, you know, with Jonathan Taylor, you know, and J.K. Dobbins, you know, and, and, and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. But now, like after this year and him seeing him really put it all together, you know, to me on film, he's he's my favorite but we're talking razor thin margin. Like if we're talking fantasy, yeah, I'd rather have Jonathan Taylor than Najee Harris because we saw how Jonathan Taylor finished the year. I still, but you can make the case that after Jonathan Taylor, you can find a hole and, and a concern of all the guys that just finished this year. And I love J.K. Dobbins. And I might take J.K. Dobbins ahead of the unknown of, of Najee Harris in terms of where he goes right now. But I think it's very close because, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Lamar Jackson is going to take a lot of touchdowns. And are they always going to want to be a two-man backfield? And is Gus Edwards still going to be there another guy? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, how often are they going to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands? If, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't catch 60 passes, is he going to live up to the hype that we thought he was last year? Not sure. You know, Cam Akers, is he going to be the guy or is it going to be more of a 60-40 with Darrell Henderson, right? So you can find holes that I love all those guys. I think they're all interesting buys. But I think I would want to buy all those guys after I knew I couldn't get Najee Harris or Travis Etienne in this year's draft, minus Jonathan Taylor, because I think he's pretty much locked in now. So, like, yeah, like I would trade the fifth or sixth pick in the draft for J.K. Dobbins, because I'm assuming by that time Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are gone, unless it really goes, you know, quarterback heaven. Uh, I mean, quarterback crazy at the top. It may be a super flex league. It might be a little bit of a different story. But I think they're right there with them on overall talent. I think Najee Harris is a little bit more talented than all of them. I think he is very much it's he's the best three down back in this class. And a lot of people don't realize it because they look at his size and they think to themselves, he's not a three down back. Look how big he is. He's Derrick Henry. And yeah. Okay. He's, he's a big guy like that. And he could be a focal point of an offense like Derrick Henry, but this guy's a great receiver. And I always, I always harpen back to last summer, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, who, you know, I respect his opinions tremendously and maybe the best, one of the best in the business, you know, he comped him to Matt Forte. When I first saw it, I, I like, I, I raised my yeah. eyebrow and I was like, that doesn't seem like it fits. But then you read the description of why. And it was because Matt Forte wasn't a burner. He wasn't a burner in college. He wasn't a burner, you know, at the NFL level, but he had great vision. He had great, great contact balance for his size. He was a great receiver out of the backfield. He had great vision. So a lot of those traits are what make up Najee Harris so special. And then he even adds on top of it that, that physicality and power, you know, for a bigger man 
you know, than Matt Forte. And that's really, you know, what gets me excited about him because he can step on the field and catch 40 or 50 passes and be a factor in the passing game. Well, I don't think Travis Ethian is there. I think Travis Ethian is going to be more of a check down guy screens and get him in the open field and he can be dangerous. And I think as a runner, he's, he's kind of like a Dalvin cook that you get, you know, you, you talked before about San Francisco and, you know, Truba Hubbard. Well, <laughs> if San Francisco was to invest in a receiver much earlier than that, and it was Travis Etienne, well, Travis Etienne can run for 1,600 yards next year in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. He would just be, you know, the prototypical fit. So I think Jonathan Taylor won right now, no landing spots known. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, then J.K. Dobbins, and then the rest of those guys kind of fit in from last year's class. But it's it, we're talking razor-thin margin because I love J.K. Dobbins. I love a lot of those guys from last year's class. I'm not ready to give up on them. And to be honest with you, I've been – I've been screaming on Saturday, Sunday for, for months now that I would aggressively try to buy almost all of those guys from last year, except James Robinson. I'd sell him when, the, when, when the getting is good, because I just still have my concerns about whether or not he's going to get the workload that he did this past year. But all those other guys right after Harris and, and Ethan go, I'd rather have most of those guys from last year than I would before I took Javante Williams. And I like Javante Williams, but I'd rather have J.K. Dobbins. I'd rather have, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson. I'd rather have more of those guys from last year before Javante Williams. And then same thing with the guys after that, the Michael Carter and Trey Sermon, intrigued by them, but I'd still rather have the guys last year. So I recommend a lot offering pick six, pick eight, pick 10, pick 12, you know, whatever it is for different levels of the running backs from last year after the top two come off the board. I'd be very content with drafting Javante Williams late round one or early round two, and maybe he lands in a perfect landing spot. You know, I've heard Atlanta might be interested in him. If Atlanta was to take Javante Williams at the top of round two, you're, then he's probably going top six in rookie drafts because he could be stepping into 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns yeah and all, and all the touches available there uh so again uh d- down the board a little bit is, is Jer- Jarrett Patterson is he just like a, a more slight version of, of Benny Snell since he played at a smaller school and you know he was the entire offense of what they were doing no I I like him a lot more than I like Benny uh Benny Snell I had my concerns about Benny Snell I think I think Patterson is is a, is a little bit better of an athlete than, than uh, Benny Snell was. And I love his footwork. I think his footwork is cutting ability. I think he's, he stopped start ability is very smooth. I like his agility and change of directions. Those are not characteristics that I ever saw people use in, 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 in talking about uh, Benny Snell. So <laughs> I like him a little bit more. I'd like to see him a little bit more, uh, usage in terms of the receiving game, but he's one of those guys that I think he just didn't need to do it. So I think he's a guy that there's more untapped potential in his receiving game than what, when Buffalo asked him to do there. So he intrigues me a little bit, uh, you know, heavy workload in college. Some NFL teams are scared away by that. He's got some pass protection issues like many young running backs do obviously coming from a smaller school. So level of competition is, you know, is a little bit of a concern, but I like his vision, his patience, his natural running instincts. He runs a good pad level. And I, I like his ability to make people miss at his, you know, and his, his overall athleticism, I think, is is somewhere in that above average to good range. So I, I like him. I think he's an interesting, you know, round four, round five type guy. You know, I think after the Gainwell, Hubbard, Javion Hawkins group, Patterson is one of the guys that intrigues me more. And to tie it in before, 
on the film that I've currently watched, I'm way more intrigued by Jared Patterson than I am Jamar Jefferson. Awesome. That, that's, that's good. I, I think we should, Paul, we, we want to be respectful of your time and, and get you out of here, but we got to talk about tight ends at least briefly. Yeah. And that it starts with Kyle Pitts. And you said to lead up the show that since he'd been doing Saturday to Sunday, he's like the most impressive prospect that you've covered. So that's pretty high praise in, in a super flex league. Where, how early is too early to draft Kyle Pitts? I mean, how excited are you about him? I mean, honestly, I think, I think he, if he doesn't go in, in round one, I think it's a mistake. I think, I think, after those top quarterbacks, I think you make the case that, you know, listen, tight end scoring system matter a lot in fantasy. You're in a tight end premium league. He's right up there near the top of the draft. Like, you know, you know, you can make the case. I know I'm in one league that is super tight end premium, three points per reception. Like Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey gets 60 to 80 points some weeks based on the, on the league scoring (laughs) Like Kyle Pitts in a league like that, it might go in the first, he might be the first pick. It's not super flex because it's a 14 team league, you know? So I don't think, I don't think top of the draft is, is too high for Kyle Pitts based on his upside, depending on your league setting, but on more traditional settings, I think he deserves consideration right after, you know, if it's a super flex league, I think most of the quarterbacks maybe should go ahead of them. The running backs is such a scare position, but he's such a difference maker at the tight end position you almost feel like you're immediately drafting a guy who I find it very hard to not see a scenario where he doesn't become a top five tight end in the league in terms of fantasy. And that's almost impossible to say with any position we're talking about, even Trevor Lawrence, right? There's no guarantee Trevor Lawrence ever becomes top five in fantasy production. I mean, look at the guys who are in the NFL right now, right? The quarterbacks, I don't have to list them. We know who they are. You know, there's no guarantee Najee Harris becomes a top five running back or Travis Ethian. And as much as I like Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, I mean, the wide receivers are loaded in the NFL. I don't see a scenario where where he does, where Pitts does not become a top five fantasy tight end with the ability to quickly emerge to be a top two or top three guy. Two years down the line, I'm not going to say rookie year. That's a little bit, you know, a little bit far fetched to think that we see tight ends, but his athletic ability and upside to me, he's a way more athletic version of Darren Waller. As long as a team knows that that's his role. I think he's going to shine at the next level. And there might be team that this basically ends up using him as a slot wide receiver. And he just has that tight end designation and it's going to be gold for fantasy. Um, you know, so I I think he belongs in the middle to late round one in mo- in every rookie draft with the ability to even push up higher based on scoring and settings because we haven't seen a, a a tight end catch like this. The body control, the ball skills, the ability to adjust. I mean, you watch him and it's just one highlight real play after another. And as long as an NFL team focuses on that and doesn't try to ask him to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do 
play in line and block with any type of regularity, he can find, he can hold up his own in space. But as long as you're not putting him on the line and just making him try to block, you know, a 270 pound defensive end or a good outside pass rushing linebacker, I think, I think he's going to be a star. I think you're going to probably see him be as productive a rookie tight end as we've seen since Evan Ingram's rookie year. And I think we're going to see him quickly emerge. And let's not, you know, lose sight. Zach Ertz is kind of out of sight, out of mind now and aged quickly, you know, evaporated out of the top of the dynasty ranks, you know, Travis Kelsey's getting up there in age. And I still think he's got a couple years left, you know, but you look at, you know, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, you know, Darren Waller, you know, like I think Kyle Pitts sooner rather than later is going to blow past those guys like Hunter Henry. I love no offense upside, but I think Kyle Pitts is well more advanced than, than Noah Fant and, and, you know, TJ Hawkinson. I think Kyle Pitts is going to get past those guys within two years. Let's say, I think he's going to see him make a move past those guys. And I don't think there's going to be a lot between him and the top of the ranks. I think he's way more skilled. I love Mark Andrews, but you, you evaluate them as prospects. It's not even close. Right. So like he is such a special player. He's going to get taken high. I'd like to think if any team invests a top 10, top 12 pick in him, they're going to, focus on what he does good and his strengths and they're going to cater to that and they're going to make him an integral part of the offense. Uh, you know, so I, I think, I don't think there's a pick that's too high to take Kyle Pitts. And it might be your New York giants because I've seen a lot of mocks where he's going to the giants. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gets me a little concerned because I, I, I think uh, <laughs> they've never fully maximized or utilized Evan Ingram as they should and I feel like Jason Garrett's offense is not very creative and it's a little unimaginative. So I get concerns that if they do draft Kyle Pitts, I really hope Joe judge coming the background from new England, maximizing a player's strengths. I hope then most of this off season is creating a game plan and creating an offense that maximizes the skill sets of Kyle Pitts. I didn't see them do that last year with Evan Ingram. And I, and there's a difference between Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts. There is. But athletically, Evan Ingram is a really special athlete in his own right at the tight end position that they never really fully maximize. Some of it's his own doing. He's really battled drops at times. And he's very frustrated and mad and as, as somebody that watches him and wanted him to be great. I still think Evan Ingram is going to end up somewhere eventually not on the Giants, and we're going to see him blossom a little bit more. But I do get some concerns about, and that's why he's a little bit more landing spot dependent for me because there are some teams that I just look at and I, I, I know who their offensive, their, their OC is, their play caller, you know, the quarterback, and you just know some teams are going to maximize that. He's not going to end up with the Saints, but like if you put him with Sean Payton, you know Sean Payton would find a way to make him an elite player sooner rather than later. Andy Reid, you know, guys like that, like you know they're going to find ways to do it. And there's more guys like that, Kyle Shanahan. There's a lot of really great young play callers or, 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 even older guys who are really great play callers who are creative and know how to maximize the skill sets of their player. But there are some that would have me a little bit concerned. The giants at the top of the list or near the top of the list would leave me a little concerned. I don't think it would make me come off of him in terms of how high I'd want to invest in him because I I'd like to give 
the benefit of the doubt to these, these people who are paid professionals to create game plans and like to think that they would come up with a way to utilize that skill set if they're going to invest the 11th pick in the NFL draft. But we've seen teams not know how to do it, right? The Giants invested the 22nd or 21st pick. You know, the Bucks invested a high pick in OJ Howard and never really maximized his skill set. So we see it all the time. So that's where I think it's a little concerning with tight ends that sometimes they have to be put in a position to succeed. And if they're asked to do things they're just not comfortable with, aka blocking a lot of the time, these guys. You know, I think that they're set up to fail because if they're so focused on trying to learn the blocks and, and that's where their focus is, you know, I think you're sapping them of their athleticism and their upside to be a big play threat if you're asking them to stay in line and block too much. Yeah, and I think like, like David and Joko is another one that wasn't ready for what they're asking him to do. With, with Kyle Pitts, the biggest part of it, and I think what you're saying, and I, I need to kind of, you know, digest it and bring it into when we talk about rookie rankings and rookie prospects of where your dynasty team is to kind of relate it back to our, our fantasy aspect of it is he just has to tickle that upside. He just has to tickle that in his year in year one to retain or gain value. He doesn't have to go off and have the best rookie year of any tight end of all time. He just has to show enough that it's worthwhile to keep, and you're insulated heavily compared to, uh, you, know, you know, like Zach Wilson could flop pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Trey Lance has a lot of upside, but it could turn out that the NFL is too much for him. Uh, you know, Justin Fields with running, you know, getting injured. I don't know, maybe I'm pushing it there, I think, a little bit. But uh, there's, a, there, there's a way that your team is built to where a, a player like Kyle Pitts is, is uh, worth more than some of these like, like quarterbacks that will be drafted early. I think running backs, you end up trading out of that spot. But uh, wide receiver-wise, I think like if, they, if, you, you know, if like Devonta Smith doesn't show anything in his first year with, with his age coming out, that you're going to have a lot more people jumping up forward and you're going to lose value where Kyle Pitts will still increase. If, even if he just – he just needs like three good games and you're, you're solid. Yeah. And here's the other thing, like, you know, and I mentioned it briefly before, like every single year, basically, there's a couple really good running backs like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, right? There'll be a, there'll be a little bit of a difference between them, but we just had five guys last year. And it's not like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne are leaps and bounds better than the five from last year. And, you know, we know there's some really good running backs in the pike coming up and some even great ones. If you're playing Debbie, who are a couple years away for who were freshmen this year, right? So we know every year there's a couple really great running backs and it sure seems like the wide receiver position just keeps getting better and better in college football. So yeah, these this wide receiver class is as best as we've seen. But you take away those after those top three guys, there's no way I would take even consider any other wide receiver in a rookie draft after those top three before Kyle Pitts because they're just so guys like every other guy. They're in every single draft. And you can make a case that there maybe there's not a Jamar Chase in every draft or Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle, but there's guys that are pretty close to those guys, right? Who are going to be high picks, maybe not as high, but those three guys are the only three wide receivers that I think should even be in consideration to go ahead of Kyle Pitts in rookie drafts. We don't see Kyle Pitts come out every year. Now, listen, there's some really intriguing tight ends in college football that are coming down the pike. A freshman named Marie Gilbert, who played at LSU this year, who just transferred to Florida, who's going to replace Kyle, uh, Kyle Pitts, probably because he saw what they did for him in terms of making him a focal point. He left LSU and transferred to Florida. He's going to be the next guy. Well, we're going to have to wait 
there's some going to be some intriguing guys next year. Arik Gilbert, two years from now, might be talked about at the same level of Kyle Pitts. But that's rare that we get that, right? We haven't had we haven't had this level of intrigue with a tight end prospect in the entire time I've been doing Saturday to Sunday. The highest intrigue was Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, Noah Fan, TJ Hawkinson, right? And and TJ Hawkinson went very high in the NFL draft. You know, Evan Ingram and OJ Howard, you know, good good prospects who went in round one. But we don't get a Kyle Pitts every year. We get a lot of these other guys every other year. Maybe not a Trevor Lawrence and stuff like that, but we get good quarterback prospects pretty regularly. We get good running back prospects, at least a handful every single year, and we get tons of wide receiver prospects. In terms of special talents, after Trevor Lawrence, you can make the case Kyle Pitts is the most special prospect in this draft class in terms of uniqueness relative to other draft classes. And if you want to add anybody else in, it's those top three wide receivers. But even then, you're still saying he's top five uniqueness, special talents. And you can make the case that maybe he should even go ahead of those wide receivers based on the value he can bring you in fantasy relative to the position, right? We see what Travis Kelsey does when you, when you have him on your team relative to other people who don't have a top level tight end, that's what you could be getting with Kyle Pitts. So that's why I think, I don't think there's any spot that's too high to take him based on those factors. I think you guys raise a lot of good points there because you're right. If you look at all the positions on your dynasty team, there's solution, easy, easier solutions at quarterback, at running back and wide receiver, Versus the tight end position. There's just not a lot of solutions. If you look a lot of teams that won championships, I, I think a lot of them had Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller on their rosters. Um, so, you know, we, we can say that, you know, the tight end position, it's a onesie position. It doesn't matter as much as some of these other positions. And maybe that's true, but you're right. You, you have one of those difference makers. It, it really helps it, and it can cover up a lot of other holes on your team. So I, I do think it's, worth a heavy investment for for Kyle Pitts. It doesn't um, matter it doesn't matter who the tight end is if you don't have one of those top 4, right? And that's what everyone says because they don't have one of those top guys. <laughs> if you have one of those top guys, no one's saying the tight end position, right? The people who say that are the people who are in tight end hell basically because they they're they're playing somebody in that tight end 6 to tight end 16 range and they're praying for a touchdown every week because they're all the same in terms of like average fantasy production basically. But when you can get that true difference maker, it can really set you apart from other teams because like you said, and I thought it was a great point there, Ryan, you just said, there's always ways to get by at the other positions, right? You can, you can put together a, a decent wide receiver group, right? There's always wide receivers who come out of nowhere, who are productive, who are, you know, wide receiver threes who get elevated to be wide receiver twos or ones due to injuries. There's always ways. And there's always, you could always hit the trade market in your league and, and find a guy who's a little bit aging, but still got some years left, who's readily accessible. But, you know, elite level tight ends don't get traded too often in dynasty leagues. Like I, I, I play in plenty of dynasty leagues. I don't see too many elite tight ends getting moved too often. Right. I see many other play. I see, elite level players get moved from time to time, but usually not the tight end position, right? It has to take a unique scenario for someone willing to move off an elite tight end because they just offer so much value at the position, you know, relative to, yeah, tight end six sounds good, but is the production you're getting from tight end six all that different than what you're getting from tight end 14? It usually isn't. Well, were you super stoked to start Robert Tunyon all season? 
you were happy for it for a couple games. Yeah. And don't, don't get me wrong, massive Robert Tunney fan coming out of the blue and, and finally telling us how to pronounce his name correctly as we went <laughs> along. But I want to get so, how, like, and what, how to go about even asking the question? Because I'm flipping back positions here. But I, I'm pretty high on Ahmed Ra St. Brown. I, I really like his game. I really like what he plays with. He's had an interesting production profile. And I thought maybe he won't test as the best athlete because I never saw him as that on the field. But I totally missed that he's part of the St. Brown family that he would probably be able to train for and run. And like If the combine was happening, I think he would overproduce what his actual athletic ability is when it comes to those numbers. Can he like uh, what, what? What potential pitfalls are there with him? I guess is my question. I don't want to skew negative, but I'm just. I, I guess I kind of do with with Amon Ra. Yeah, I mean, listen. I think he's flying way under the radar, and I'm really intrigued to see if he's a guy that's not being talked about a lot in the draft Twitter community, but he's thought of very highly in the NFL community because that's kind of my inkling with him because there is so much to like about his game. I mean, my co-host Macaraccio, he's one of his favorites, you know, like he's not in his top three, but like, if you like, you know, those guys, those guys, you star, my guys, Amon Ross St. Brown is one of his guys and he makes a very valid case. I mean, this guy, I think he's one of the most pro ready receivers in this draft class. I think he's one of the best route runners in this draft class after a couple of guys at the top, like Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith. So I think he's, I think he's in the conversation to be one of the top three to five best route runners in this class. I think he's in the conversation to be one of the top five, most pro ready. He's got inside outside versatility to me. There's there's not a lot to dislike. I know you were talking about, you know, some potential pitfalls with him, but to me, he's a very fundamentally sound wide receiver that doesn't have a lot. You want me to, you want me to nitpick? He's 6'1", 195 was the listed weight we had from like USC. He might even be thinner than that. I'd like to see him add some more weight or muscle. And somebody might say, well, wait a minute. You, you, you sit there and say, that's not a concern for Devonta Smith. You know, listen, it's not that it's a major concern, but they win in a little bit different ways. Devonta Smith is a little bit is a little bit quicker in terms of his footwork, his separation quickness. I think Amon Ross St. Brown, how he plays, I'd like to see him get to 200 or 202. So a little thing. I The one concern that I have for him is I want to be able to see him beat physical press coverage. That's the, that's probably my biggest concern with Amonra St. Brown, but honestly, the list of strengths that I have for him is long. It goes good to very good athleticism, burst, quickness, movement skills, above average, long speed can win at all three levels of the field. Good to very, very good to great footwork, route running, separation, quickness. His releases are good door uh, at the, initially during the route and at the top of his releases good to very good body control of ball skills get adjust to the football i like his yak ability after the catch he can make people miss to me he's a complimentary to starting receiver inside from the slot or the flanker position on the outside he's not going to be an outside receiver that's going to win vertically down the field all the time that's not his game but he can be inside outside 
the Z position, the slot position. You know, I think there's a lot to like about his game that I think, and he's very nuanced in terms of he's a guy who can run receiver route options where he makes a read based on what the defense is giving him. And I think a quarterback is going to trust that he's in the right place at the right time because of how intelligent and how smart he is. So to me, he's a day two guy, probably goes somewhere mid round two, the mid round three. And I, I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, another guy that we look at and we're like, he maybe should have even gone a little bit higher. Guys like Tutu Atwell and Elijah Moore are, are getting a little bit more attention. But I don't know if in a couple of years from now, they're better than Amon Ross St. Brown. I think he's far and away uh, the best one from his lineage. I think he's way more polished. <laughs> You know, I think he's way more polished, way more pro ready than those guys. I think he's a way better route runner and, and knowledge of route concepts than that. While, well, you know, in the past, I think it was more athletic upside, you know, it was what was intriguing, you know, with his brother and stuff. So I really like his game. There's not a lot that I think he does pretty much everything good already minus add a little weight. Show me that you can be physical press coverage. Uh, I just don't think, you know what it is? When I look through his profile, I don't use the word elite anywhere, right? And I use, I don't use the word great too many places. I think that's why you're not hearing more about him, but that's okay. You know, you can live in the world of good to very good and be a really good receiver at the NFL level. And I think that's what Amon Ross St. Brown's going to be. I would love if you went to the Chargers and learned from Keenan Allen. That would be a really good landing spot in terms of working with him. You know, if in a year or two they moved on from Keenan Allen, I think he can be that guy, that inside-outside guy, you know, and really hit the ground running. If he went to a place like Green Bay, I think he immediately becomes their number two wide receiver. You can do a lot with him. They move their receivers around a lot. But, you know, if they still wanted to keep a guy like, you know, Valdez Scantling to, to run those vertical routes, then I think you could have Devonte Adams, Devonte Adams and. Uh, uh, Equinemia St. Brown. Brown is probably you're missing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you can put, you can put the better St. Brown there and he would, <laughs> add, he would add more to that offense. I mean, Green Bay is the team, right? I'm going to, I'm going to be screaming from the hilltop at Saturday to Sunday. Green Bay is the team. I don't want to hear that. Oh, Devonte Adams there. You can't, you know, you don't want the rookie receiver to go there. No, I do. Just like I loved when Atlanta drafted Jerry Judy. And how's that turned out? He had an opportunity to be the number two guy for quite some time. And now I think we're starting to see the torch slowly pass to him. But it's a, when, when you don't have to be the number one guy and you can't have the, and you don't have the best corners on you from year one, I, I, I sign me up for that. Right now, there's not a better landing spot right now leading into this NFL draft than being drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And I think they're going to finally invest in a wide receiver. After last year's dumbfounded draft by the Packers, I think they're going to overcompensate this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see them draft two receivers in the first four rounds of this year's NFL draft. And I think whoever goes there, is the best landing spot of anybody. It doesn't even matter who the player is. If it's any of these top 10, top 12 guys, in terms of pure landing spot, there's no place that's going to get me more excited than going to play with Aaron Rodgers and alongside Adams and not have the pressure of being the guy right out of the gate. Yeah, I wonder, like, watch him, like, draft, like, because Seth Williams is a tall burner, too, out of, out of Auburn, or uh, what's, what's another one down the line? 
Was it? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think Marshall could be there. You know, at at the end of round one, if they were to go there at round one. If you're talking a little bit later, yeah, I think Seth would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I I think Seth Williams would be more of probably a round three guy at this point. I'll bring up Deami Brown out of UNC. Is another guy who could be a round three, round four guy. I'll bring up another name, and I have no idea where he's going to go. And I still think I'm probably much higher on him than the consensus. I think Tamarian Terry out of Florida State was so hindered by his offense at Florida State and the quarterback play and the poor offensive scheme that if you watch Tamarian Terry's best plays, he should be a round one talent wide receiver. And all I still think he deserves to go in round two or early round three, and he might fall to round four. And I think he is going to be my, if he falls to day three, without a shadow of a doubt, he's going to be my most owned player in dynasty drafts because I'm going to take him every draft I'm in somewhere in round three or round four, because that's where he's going to fall to. And I love the upside. I think he's a true outside X wide receiver who, if he played in a different offense, I don't think, I think we'd be talking about a round one player. If he played with Alabama, if he played with LSU, I think we'd be talking about a round one wide receiver. Maybe he falls this year like a Donovan Peoples-Jones because of of how poor the Michigan offense was. And Donovan Peoples-Jones showed some glimpses this year. I think think Tamarian Terry is is a way better prospect and and more developed than even Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I liked last year. But I think Terry's even a better prospect. I thought Peoples-Jones should have been a round three pick. I think Tamarian Terry should be a day two pick. I don't think he is. So to me, he's a guy that really intrigues me as a sleeper. And it's hard to have sleepers anymore because there's so much amazing coverage out there. But Terry is a guy who I think might fall through the cracks because of how much that offense hurt him in terms of putting up gaudy stats in college. Yeah, I can't I can't believe how much trouble Florida State's going to have recruiting in the next few years, unless they're, they're like still kind of great, like paying under the table. But there are a lot of unhappy players there for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Florida State's team have followed very closely in college football. And, you know, Tamarian Terry just he was the diamond, you know, in in a in a in the rough of a lot of mess there. And you you watch his film and you get some, you know, Kenny Galladay vibes. And and I think he's even faster than Kenny Galladay. And Kenny Galladay, I think, went in round three. I think Tamarian Terry could be drafted in round three and be a Kenny Galladay like player. I really do believe it uh, based on what I saw of him when he got competent quarterback play. That's the kind of fit I would like with the Packers when it comes to rookie drafts is that third, fourth round pick of a player like Tamarian Terry, where you make me cannot pay instant rookie draft capital. So you minimize some of your risk, but you get all the upside you'd ever want. Just oozing with the upside. So they'll go Kyle Pitts first round. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> so, so, Paul, I, I know we're almost out of time here, so it's the two-minute warning. Any any final thoughts? Any deep sleepers you want to mention? Um, any anything at all? Any 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 closing thoughts about this this uh, draft class? Yeah, I mean, I think we hit on a lot of the key sleepers at the quarterback position. It would be Jamie Newman. I just mentioned at the wide receiver position, it would be Tamarian Terry. I mentioned them before in passing, but I just had a chance to really dig into Cade Johnson, the wide receiver out of South Dakota mm-hmm. State. I got a lot of Deontay Johnson vibes when I watched Deontay. And I and Matt 
uh, my co-host and I really liked Deontay Johnson coming out of Toledo. He went even way higher than we expected him to, to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh claims that he was their number one wide receiver on the board that year. Who knows if that's true. But the fact that they invested as high of a pick as they did, they've panned out to be true. I think Kay Johnson could be very much like Deontay Johnson. So Kay Johnson is another guy that I think I'm really intrigued with. Uh, A pure burner, Marquez Stevenson out of Houston intrigues me a little bit as a a later guy. We didn't even talk about the other two tight ends. I mean, Pat Fryer moved. He's right there. Like He's not that far behind. Like the TJ Hawkinson's of the world and the Hunter Henry's of the world. You can make the case like you watch him play college football and he's very Gronk like in terms of his body size, his athleticism for his size, his frame his his, you know, his body control, his ability at the catch point. So I think Friar moved is a guy who is kind of getting a little bit pushed out of, you know, the public discussion because of how talented Kyle Pitts is. But I think Fryermuth is a guy who deserves to go in round two a rookie draft for sure. And then Brevin Jordan really intrigues me as 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 more of a true pure pass catching tight end. He's a guy at the tight end position that really intrigues me. So you got some other tight ends there we didn't talk about at the running back position. We talked a little bit about uh Jared Patterson. JVN Hawkins could be a very interesting player, especially if he could show that he just wasn't asked to be a receiver, but he has that in his repertoire because he could be a very good impact change of pace type guy. I think Philip Lindsay. And I mentioned Demetri Felton a couple times. I don't know where he's going to end up, but he's got like a Naheem Hines vibe to him. That's been the guy I've been confident him to for you know since last summer at saturday sunday it'll be interesting to see where he ends up and and what role teams want to have for him but i think this draft class is fascinating and i think what's going to make it even more fascinating as much as i'm going to miss the the combine and you guys know how much i love the combine and what i usually do for it i think there's almost going to be more intrigue now than ever without the combine because now you're not going to hear a lot about the metrics. You're not going to hear about their, you know, their spark scores and stuff like that. It's going to be film. And then even in the film component of it, we have so minimal film from this past year, who played, who didn't play, whose program was shut down, whose program wasn't, who played four games, who played 10 games, you know, so it's really going to be intriguing to try to evaluate these guys and and then see who can make that transition from the college game uh, to the pro game, you know, and, and I think it's going to be fun for the, the film, the diehards who, who love the film grind like myself, it's going to be an intriguing year to kind of see where these guys end up knowing that's even what the NFL teams are really mostly working on as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's a, it's an exciting class. And if, if you were not hyped about this class before listening to this show, then you, I bet you are now that there's, there's a lot to be excited about. So Paul, thanks for joining us. Um, he's Paul Pertichese. He is uh, the co-host of the Saturday Sunday football podcast. Uh, you didn't mention the premium notebooks, Paul. So I'm going to mention them. This is like the best deal um, oh yeah, I mean, bang for your buck is just insane. Yeah, you know, like you you need you know want to do some research on Debbie prospects on rookies coming into this draft class on the NFL draft. Paul, one of my favorite things you do with the premium notebooks is you 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 update it as you're leading up to the draft, like where you think guys are going to go, and you have an amazing hit rate on that. So go to Saturday to SundayFootball.com and buy the premium notebooks only nine ninety nine. It's a it's a, an amazing bargain, Paul. I'd have paid ten dollars for it. guys guys, it's always a pleasure i look forward to coming on your show each and every year hopefully you know either uh 
draft weekend or post draft or something. Uh, hopefully I can get back on here with you guys and, and talk about it. Once we know where some of these guys are going, uh, always, a, always a pleasure to be on with you guys and talk some prospects. Yeah. And yeah. I think we'll do the draft party again this year. You're usually pretty busy that weekend. So you can't always join us, but you're, you always got to open invite to the draft party as well. So Paul, thanks for joining us. We're the fancy Joes. You can find us on Twitter at FF Joes. Um, he is at fancy Joe underscore will. I am at Rotor librarian. Uh, on behalf of Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. It's on my checklist every year of my purchases of fantasy content. It, it doesn't even like come close to when I take and evaluate what I'm paying for year to year is the Saturday to Sunday premium notebooks. Uh, that Google Sheet, well, I, I just really like Google I really like you guys have embraced it and used it super well. And I've listened to, if, if not all of uh, like ninety five percent of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast since we've gotten into this fall. It's been it's been great. It's been awesome to have you on the show. But I just want I just want like anybody's listening to this to know that this is this is content that is just worth listening to in so many different ways. Uh, and it's a joy to listen to. Guys, thank you so much. Always uh, always a pleasure. I appreciate those words. Uh, really means a lot to me. I mean you could be higher on Amir Smith Marset. That's <laughs>